Do you ever examine your life and think, wait a minute, I might be a little crazy? Come on, be honest with yourself. You probably are doing some crazy things and you don't even realize it. I'll break the ice. I talk to myself, like all the time. One time I was talking to myself in the car and forgot that I had two kids sitting in the back seat. I had to rewind the tape in my head and make sure I didn't say anything incriminating. Anyway, what was my point? Oh yeah, I think most women are crazy for one simple reason. They love true crime. WTF in all caps, emboldened and underlined. What's the matter with you freaks? We're going to explore that and more. Are you ready to do this? We're hanging. This episode is brought to you by Perez Martial Arts, dedicated to changing the lives of people one person at a time through martial arts, education, and coaching. And by Mario's Lawn Care. The leaves are starting to fall. Restore your curb appeal and let Mario's crew blow them away. Small Town Scuttlebots. Hey Scuttlebots, it's your buddy Rick, and I'm across the table from my friend Liz. Mike is, uh, let's say Mike's on assignment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is Mike's um, busy time of the year. He's got Halloween and the holidays around the corner, so he's got a... He's he's uh, working on his uh, art craft stuff, and he's also over an hour away. So we'll he give get, him a break. Yep, he gets uh, the next couple weeks off. How are you doing, Liz? I'm good, thank you. Yes, I went out to uh, dinner last night with a couple girlfriends, which was lovely. And the bonus of that is that I don't have to prepare or clean up dinner for my family, so it's like a win-win. That's good. Mm-hmm. Last night I drove into Boston, Faneuil Hall, working on my comedy. Oh, did you do some open mics? Uh, no, I went to, the, well, I'm doing this workshop right now. I'm mm-hmm. working out some new material. I, I texted you the other day. Boy, I, I bombed. Like, it was, <laughs> I hadn't done comedy for about two years. You know, when COVID started, comedy died. That's kind of the genesis of why we started a podcast. I, I said, I still need a mic in front of me. And the podcast is different because it's a slow burn. You know, right. there's really not like a cadence where I set up, punch, set up, punch. It's just, you know, let's have a conversation, just mm-hmm. enjoy ourselves. Now, it's, what kind of crowd did you bomb in front of? The audience was just other comics, a room full okay. of comics, which I I like, but it's, it's, uh, it's not very forgiving. You know what? Half the people are just focusing on, you know, their set and their material and everyone else is kind of just getting mm-hmm. through it. Think, you know, but when you're working, I, I respect this audience because they're working their craft. They know comedy. They're in the same shoes as me. Right. They're, they're doing the same thing. And I went up there and I hadn't done it in two years. And I, I went saying, let's just see what happens. In other words, I wasn't prepared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I Did re- you have new material? Uh, no. Okay. I, What I wanted is just to get an at-bat and then just go into a couple things. And those couple things, there were a lot of holes in them. Like, what was the fucking punchline to that joke? <laughs> <laughs> I wrote this. I should remember it. But no. you were out of the rhythm, right? Oh, yeah. So it wasn't yep. like, like your muscle memory hadn't come back from being in that groove. Yeah. And there's a, a very accomplished comedian there. Um, Tony V was there. He, mm-hmm. just, he just opened for Bill Burr at yep. Fenway Park. He was there. And this guy, Will Noonan, who yes. I, I love yeah. Will Noonan, okay? And uh, he, he kind of laughed, like, for me, like, with me, like, all right, man. Mm-hmm. So uh, what was the last time he did comedy? Right. <laughs> 
I was like, two years. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm just trying to get back into mm-hmm. it. He's like, hey, don't worry about it, man. Like, you know, you got up there. I said, you know what? That was awesome. I loved it. I lo- I sucked so bad. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I feel I feel like I got that off my plate. That's awesome. Doing it. So last night when I was back in Faneuil Hall, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I killed it, but, you know. My material was working. I mean, I, I, I knew my material, and it's new. I came up with it uh, in the last two weeks. I've been working on some stuff, and I would say it's it's going to fly. That's you know, like awesome. I'm confident yeah. about it. Like I feel good about this stuff, and uh, now I just need to – now I need – I know I need to just work on selling it, like really getting behind it with with enthusiasm yeah. and, and energy. All right, let's do that, Ashanka. All right. All right, Liz. All right, let's have? see. Uh, first up, you left something here. Yeah, Liz, you did. Um, <laughs> My dignity. <laughs> no, no, you never brought it. Scuttlebuds <laughs> um, at home, don't read too much into this, but Liz, you left your leopard print uh, footwear <gasps> here. That's the, where they are. The thank other you. I thought yeah. I left them at Allie's studio. Yes, no, thank you, you. No, you left them next to your CPAP machine on my nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> Did we ever talk about the time when you came over and it was just you and me in the house in the basement? And I, no. I, so I feel like, like let me ask you about this because yep. it it it's weird in both ways. As a man, mm-hmm. right in this world we live in, we're kind of post Me Too, right? right? I mean, I don't think that's as, as a hot topic. As I think it, we've learned a lot from the, yes. the Me Too movement, and hopefully, it doesn't have to become, you know, what it was before because. Women are being treated with more respect and dignity. So yeah, and I think we—I wouldn't call it a witch hunt because the, these Me Too violators yeah. are were legit, like completely right. Okay, no one's going to feel bad for Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> no. So yeah, I think as a society we we uh, had a little um, adjustment there. Yep. And uh, now everyone just knows, right? Uh, so I kind of felt like, all right. I'm all into optics and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, so you were going to come over and I realized, oh, my wife isn't going to be home and the kids will not be home. Mm-hmm. And there's a woman coming over to see me and we are going to be in the basement. <laughs> Stay with us, listeners. <laughs> I know. And typically, we, we, the door is closed, right, right. for audio um, quality. So I thought, I, I know Liz, but I don't know what her comfort level is. I don't want to surprise her, mm-hmm. you know. So I reached out and I let you know. Yep. Well, first of all, I checked with Leslie, which yes. I knew ninety nine percent, you know. But check with your wife, make sure she's aware. Mm-hmm. I said, Leslie, Liz is coming over. Blah blah blah. And she said, Okay, that's cool. No, mm-hmm. no problem. Then I had to let you know because I felt like I would hate for an, that awkward moment when you come over and it's like, so where's Leslie? Yeah. And I'm like, she's not here. <laughs> and I shut the door. <laughs> Have a seat, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're really cool. About, oh, I mm-hmm. don't care. And uh yeah, I think my response was, as long as you don't have one of those Matt Lauer buttons underneath the podcast <laughs> table, I'm cool. <laughs> Did you ever tell Dan, your husband? I don't think so no. because he wouldn't ca- like he wouldn't care. But I appreciated the text out of respect for me and out of respect for him. Mm-hmm. Just you know, you saying like, "Hey, this is this is the deal. Are you comfortable? Would Dan be comfortable?" Yeah. Um. And yeah, it was okay. It's totally fine. So, follow up question: 
this uh, probably will happen again, this mm-hmm. situation, right? right? Uh, do I need to keep telling you this every time? Nope. Or Okay, so good to know. But, yeah, one of those things as a guy. Yeah, I appreciate big, it. Big on optics. Okay, yes. that's all I want to do. Honestly, so is my husband, too. Like, mm-hmm. he, again, you know, people can interpret things whatever way they want. Like, so he coaches Little League Baseball, right? And, like, if a kid is you know, hasn't been picked up from practice, it's always two adults that will stay with that kid. So it doesn't look like my my husband is alone with someone else's child. You know what I mean? Stuff that, like that. That's protocol? Yeah. It's yeah. a funny but, world. But for him, like, like he feels it's important that from an optics perspective, he's not alone with someone else's child. Okay. You know? I don't want to be a one-upper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this happened at a Catholic church, too. Okay, I was teaching when I was a kid. When we were kids, we called it CCD, right? Although I never Same. knew what CCD stood for. What does it stand for? Well, I'm from Concord, New Hampshire. We mm-hmm. called it Concord City Dump. <laughs> <laughs> so I was teaching the first communion class at mm-hmm. St. Edward's down the road, and I had to use the restroom. And there was a five-year-old boy. In I open the door, go in the bathroom. It's an empty bathroom except for one little five-year-old boy Mm -hmm. at the little boy urinal Mm -hmm. that's about two feet off the ground and as a typical five-year-old boy who's post-potty trained just figuring things out they pull their pants down to their ankles (laughs) (laughs) and I was walking in and I did an about face and walked right out I'm like yep the next person is going to open the door and see me next to a boy with his pants around nope in a catholic church yeah yeah Uh, it was like So I just waited outside. Yes, you can hold it. And uh, the guy was walking by. He's like, waiting to use the bathroom? I'm like, yeah, there's a kid in there. Pants around his ankles. (laughs) (laughs) Not doing it. (laughs) And uh, he's like, okay, I'll wait too. And uh, he he and I just stood outside. And then the kid came out. And I was like, do you wash your hands? He's like, yeah. Okay. No, I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, of course not. (laughs) Sure. He's picking his nose. Right. All right. Want to do another one? Yes. Let's see. What else do we have? Hitchhiking. Oh. My wife and I were talking the other day about hitchhiking. I, one time, with a buddy in college, we snuck onto a bus on a school trip. It was uh, to the to the mall mm-hmm. in Washington for a domestic violence rally. And a bunch of our girlfriends, right, from the fourth floor. We were on the third floor, and all the guys on our floor were friends with all the girls on that floor. So it was one of those weekends where a lot of people were going home. I don't know the significance of that, but... Me and this guy, Nate, were kicking back, and there was no parties, there's nothing, and I didn't put any thought into this weekend in particular. So these girls were like, hey, we'll sneak you on the bus. Come with us. Me and Nate looked at each other like, this sounds awesome. <laughs> so we did it. We did it. Uh, and then we got caught, and they left without us. Left. So wait, did you get all the way to the rally? Oh, yeah. yeah and then did. you got caught? We got down there, but me and my buddy, we are like, hey, we're here. Well, we'll check you later. You know, we'll see you on Sunday night when you sneak us back on the bus mm-hmm. at RFK Stadium's parking lot where all these buses are going to be. We get there. There's no bus. They left. They left without oh us. Oh, my God. So anyway, we had to hitchhike back. Wait, from Washington, D.C. to New Hampshire? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, we found the UNH bus, and we told them what happened to mm-hmm. us, and they uh, they felt sympathy. And by the way, these were not like... Super feminists. Mm-hmm. These were just a bunch of girls that just wanted just to wanted go to on a trip. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Road trip. Yep. And so there was a lot of flirting going on Ooh. on that trip. Me, it like, <laughs> like, it was awesome. That sounds like quite the adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, it was so great. And then I had friends at UNH. My friend Christy, who I've been friends in, with since first grade, mm-hmm. took us to the dining commons. We got us breakfast. She drove us to the, to the highway and we started thumbing it. 
Oh, my God. And we got uh, halfway there, and then we're dropped off by a guy in a pickup truck. But this was safe for us because there's two of two us. Two men. And we're in our prime. Like, we're mm-hmm. 21. Right. The last leg of the trip, which was just over an hour, we got picked up by two high school girls that were skipping school. Oh, my God. I didn't think anything of it. Me and my friend, we're, right. we're totally cool. We're good guys. But what if we weren't? Yes. Right? They are just asking to be raped and murdered. Yep. And I was talking to Leslie about this the other day because we're watching Dahmer. And Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, all this, uh, all these possibilities and scenarios that could play out. Why put yourself in harm's way? Play the odds. Don't pick anyone up on Mm -hmm. the highway. We were talking about how that used to be kind of a thing. 70s, everyone hitchhiked. Yeah. This was in the 90s. It was... Uh, it happened, but it wasn't, you know, prevalent, but it wasn't so rare and right. and awkward. Like if I saw somebody hitchhiking today, I would not Yeah, when was the last time you saw a hitchhiker? Never, never. Yeah, I mean, I can't even remember. It's done. It's over, yes. right? You got Uber, you have Zipcar. I yeah. think people find alternatives. Yeah, we drove Wow. with these girls and I was just thinking about, you know, all the scenarios, you know, post, you know, like right. as an adult now looking back, how dangerous that is and i wonder i mean obviously they saw you guys hitchhiking it had to have been a two-second conversation like hey want to give these guys a ride sure like no even like hey should we i don't know they might be sketchy blah 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 like they went from seeing you to being like hop in yeah yeah <laughs> that's wild i mean i don't blame them because i didn't have my shirt on right. and they were like look at those pecs they were just blinded <laughs> by, yeah. by your six pack <laughs> yeah right and that was kind of funny because then when we got back, I was like doing that. Hey, okay, so thank you. And right. now me and my friend, we were not going to make a move, right? right. Because they're, A, they're children. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're in high school mm-hmm. and uh, they're over an hour away from home. What am I going to do? Get them high? Right, you know, right. Hey, you want to smoke some weed? Want to drink, yeah. pound some beers before and you get, get in your car and drive home? <laughs> you want to spend the night? Your parents oh. won't care. Like th- there was just no right. rational option. So we, you know, hung out for a little bit, offered to go to the dining commons mm-hmm. if they wanted to take one of our guest passes and the, you know, they, they're probably feeling the same way. Like, okay, I guess our road trip's over. Right, we, right, right. They, we, and then they could tell the tale that they had an adventure with yes. two college guys. I know. Yeah. Check the box. Right. We did it. All well, right. I hope though that experience didn't give them the, the impression that picking up hitchhikers is perfectly okay. Right. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe one of those girls ended up dead in a ditch somewhere because oh, you made please. her feel that, hey, it's perfectly okay to pick up a strange man on the side of the road. <laughs> and that's where my mind goes because I'm obsessed with true crime. I know. And we're going to get to that. But yeah, so I'm going to make up for all that by saying, ladies, girls listening, don't hitchhike. Even if they look as good as me with my shirt off when I was 21. And, and men don't pick up a female hitchhiker because... Aileen Bornos, um, she murdered, I don't even know how many men. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlize Theron played her in that movie Monster. Oh, yeah. Yes. So yeah. she, I believe she entrapped many a man uh, hitchhiking. Oh, wow. Road. So don't do that either, men. Yep. Because women are dangerous too. All right. Last one. Last two Shankatak. All right. Dahmer. When yeah. I know you and Leslie are about halfway through the new. Yeah, are you, are you watching it? I haven't started it yet, but it's on my list. Yeah, we're into episode five of a 10-episode miniseries about Jeffrey Dahmer. This was unraveling when I was in high school, 1991. I was a freshman, and I couldn't wrap my brain around what I was hearing on the nightly news. I got most of the story from, you know... TV mm-hmm. and the coverage, the news footage, the the stories of Jeffrey Dahmer. Forget about just eating these people. It went beyond that. It went 
storing body parts in the fridge and how you dispose these people, lure them in, did it for so long, never got caught. Right. Uh, the craziest stuff was people would call him out and the cops would show up and they'd return the person to him. And he'd say, oh, it's my boyfriend. Right. He lives here. They go, okay, and be dismissive about it and let him. There were so many close calls of getting caught and being There's so many red exposed. flags. Yes. And it, how does this keep happening? Right. It, you look, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. Everyone can Monday morning quarterback this and call themselves a detective. But that's what I wanted to know. And, and it, was, it was the one time where I really was curious. I, I, I love psychology. Yep. And- um, getting inside this guy's brain, it was something that I, I found myself doing. Like, what makes him tick? Yes. And that's one of the, that's why true crime is fascinating, okay. right? I think for our generation, Jeffrey Dahmer was the first well-publicized, well-known serial killer. Like in the 70s, you had the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, and you had Ted Bundy and mm -hmm. whatever. There was a whole slew of them in the 70s. But I think for our generation, he was the first one that really his story came to light and was so disturbing mm. and he got away with it for so long um and i would argue that you know we've come a long way from our forensics perspective he probably wouldn't have had quite the killing spree today that he did back then and also he was he was killing young gay black men which probably didn't get the attention it deserved back then either right um so yeah it is it's it's fascinating it's fascinating yeah you know what's not fascinating <laughs> The goddamn nightmare I had. Ah, oh, do tell. <laughs> now, I, it's amazing. It's like this is the brain doing yep. something. And your subconscious kind of takes over. And if you pay attention to it, you kind of reflect on it. Mm -hmm. And it's been sitting with me for a couple of days because you start questioning yourself. Like, why did that come into my brain? Right. And uh, this is what the dream was. I was sleeping in my bed with a torso. Just... <laughs> A body with no head, arms, and legs. And I would just sleep next to it and somehow be okay with that. And it was, like, comforting for you? Not, no, not comforting. Okay. Just It was just there. It was just there. Okay. Uh, and then I would get out of bed and pick up the torso and put it on the floor next to the bed and then sleep on the bed. And then I was had, a like, a third-person view, like, almost looking mm -hmm. at me in the bed, and, which is rare, Right? A yeah. Dream is usually first person perspective, right? But this was like, I'm seeing myself on the bed with this torso, this bloody torso on the ground. <laughs> it's fucked up. No, I totally That's get when it. I woke up. That's when <laughs> I woke up and I said, what the fuck? That was, and I was mad. I was mad at myself. Like, dude, what do you think? What are you doing? Oh, so you, know? you feel like this. I felt that like dream is reflective of some disturbed part of your brain that you have that's been untapped. And now that you're watching Dahmer, you're accessing this this bad part of your brain. Uh, yeah, I gave I gave that thought, you know, a walk mm -hmm. for about two yeah. seconds. And then I said, dude, you, you've been what did you just watch three right, hours right. ago? OK, there's a reason that was cause and effect. You're yep. fine. You're not a wacko. Yeah. You're not going <laughs> to cut anyone's heads off and sleep with them. But yeah, that was. And I'm surprised that this story had such a profound effect on me mm -hmm. that um, I would actually have my subconscious go down that path. Right, right. As long as it did. Um, but yeah, I, I woke my, you know, I just came to, I, I said, this is a dream. This is a, you know, I intervened in my own dream. Mm -hmm. Did you ever do that? Like, wake up. Oh, this yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, yeah. I I have a recurring dream of um, being smothered to death. <laughs> 
with the pillow. <laughs> really? Yes. And it, and they're on more than one occasion. I've woken up screaming and freaked poor Dan out. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, and, but I can, I can access like a part of my brain that is reminding me like, this isn't real. You're not going to die. It's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Just wake up. Okay. Um, but I think because you aren't not a regular consumer of true crime, maybe that's why you had this disturbed reaction. Like I consume it all the time. So, so I'm kind of like, okay. Desensitized. Desensitized to okay. a certain extent. Well, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Let's, we'll do a break and then we'll come okay. back and I'll pick your brain about why you're a psycho and you like true crime. <laughs> Perfect. All right, guys, don't go away. Do you have a reluctant young reader in your home? I do. My kid reads in front of the stove so he can set the timer in his quest to never read beyond the requisite time set by his teacher. I felt I needed to inspire the little guy. So what did I do? I went to Park Street Books and talked to proprietor Jim James. This is basically how the conversation went. I said to Jim, I said, hey, Jim, Charlie's not the most impassioned reader. What can we do about it? And he was all like, you know, Rick, kids who don't like to read just haven't found the right book. And he hands me a book, sure to please. It's called The Halloween Party from the Black Lagoon by Mike Thaler. It looked so good, I bought two copies, and now I'm going to read for 30 minutes every night with my son. It's a success story in the making. Find your success story at Park Street Books or online at parkstreetbooks.com. Unwanted pests can eat you out of house and home. So can my kids and their friends in the neighborhood. You should see them raid the snack cabinet. If you see any suspicious looking insects, or if you just want to be sure your home is safe, get APC Pest and Termite Control on the case. Their professionally trained and fully insured technicians will keep your home off limits to carpenter ants, termites, rodents, and scores of other things you probably can't even identify. I wish they could do something about the six kids who raid my fridge every day after school. Don't your parents feed you? For prompt and professional service by residential specialists with over 25 years of experience, get APC Pest and Termite Control on the case. Check them out online at apcpest.com. Okay, Liz, now you are going to wear two hats. You are the host but you're also the guest Ooh, okay i'm gonna exciting. i'm going to examine your brain and mm-hmm. look for answers because i've i can't get escape the the notion that women love true crime yep and it's it's not just a, a theory i have i for the show googled why <laughs> do women love and true crime popped up right and, and auto-populated right in the yes. google search yeah why do women love true crime? True crime is the number one thing people are looking into, right? Yep. Uh, also, a couple of years ago, my fourth, 40th birthday, we had a big party here with like 50 people came over. It was really fun because I'm so awesome. But uh, <laughs> a friend, let's call her Holly because that's her name. She comes over for my birthday. She gives me this book for a gift. It's called Mind Hunter. Inside the FBI's elite serial crime unit. I watched the show on Netflix. Yeah, it mm-hmm. says uh, now a Netflix original yep. series. Do you notice that there's not a crease or a bend in this <laughs> in this spine? That's because I have not read it, but it sits in my desk uh, in my drawer on my nightstand, mm-hmm. kind of like a Bible by the Gideons when you go to a hotel. Because <laughs> I feel like maybe I will read it 
but then I feel like I like what's yeah, what's stopping you from reading it? Well, did you hear the story about my dream after well, watching Dahmer? <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> so I did a little research and I found this article, Why Do Women Love True Crime? It was mm-hmm. a, is a New York Times essay written by Kate Tuttle. She says that she has found herself newly attracted to the genre, and it's clear that she's not the only one. True crime is having, as they say, a moment. There's a boom in the genre across media, from books uh, from books to television to podcasting, and it's clear that women are the target audience. She goes on to say, a 2010 study found that around 70% of Amazon reviews of true crime books are by women compared with books about war, where 82% of the reviews are by men. Something is going on here, but what? Men, the statistics tell us, are involved in violent crime, as perpetrators and victims alike, in much larger numbers than women. When women are connected to crime, we're much more likely to be victims or survivors. Perhaps our fascination with these stories stems in part from wanting to learn from them. If a woman escaped her attacker in this particular way, we think, perhaps I could too. That sheds a little bit of light yep. on this for me. And uh, you seem like you're affirming it with your head nodding. Yes. Uh, I'll open it up to you and sure. then I'll just ask questions along the way. But um, when did you get into true crime and what is it about true crime because I think it's kind of a messed up thing. Mm-hmm. Be- but go ahead. So I think where the true crime genre really made a, a boom um, was initially with the serial podcast uh, that came out many years ago with the Adnan Syed case. Um, and then again with Making a Murderer, the Netflix documentary. I think those two pieces of media really pushed the true crime genre into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And as a woman, I would, because I did reflect on this, like, why am I so obsessed with it? Why are all my friends obsessed with it? I mean, after you get talking about your children with, you know, a group of women, you can immediately go to, hey, did you see the latest (laughs) murder documentary on Netflix? I mean, I have a text exchange between my girlfriend, Lindsay, and my cousin, Julie, who have never met, Mm -hmm. going back over two years. And the only things we text back and forth are recommendations on new true crime podcasts and documentaries. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's a great equalizer. 75% of true crime podcast listeners are women. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the Wine and Crime podcast gets half a million downloads per month and 85% of their listeners are women. We are also, as your article pointed out, more likely to become the victims of a crime. Between 1985 and 2010, 70% of the victims and serial killers were women. Mm-hmm. So I do think it kind of, our fascination goes back to how do how do I not put myself in a situation that is dangerous, like picking up a hitchhiker? Um how did how in the psychology of things, right? Like what makes someone do something like this? And it doesn't have to be like a Jeffrey Dahmer type of extreme example. It could be, you know, why did this husband kill his wife and kids? You know, I mean, I'm married with children. I don't think Dan's going to murder me anytime soon. But, you know, at the same time, there are documentaries where this happens and you're like, I'm living next door to someone. Am I going to, they seem perfectly normal. Am I going to wake up one morning and there's going to be police cars out front because someone annihilated their family? You know what I mean? So there's that whole psychology piece of what makes someone do something, what drives someone to that edge. And it could be, you know, they had a horrible childhood. They were molested. They were beaten. They were this, they were that. Or in the case of one of the documentaries that I watched about 
a husband that murdered his wife and his children, he was having an affair and just wanted to get rid of his family. So there's there's a pretty wide berth of what makes someone do something. Mm -hmm. And that I find kind of fascinating. I do think the truth is stranger than fiction, um, which is why I'll always gravitate towards watching a documentary about something versus watching like a fictionalized recount of it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you you already straightened out a couple of assumptions, I guess I had, because I've I watch movies and shows and I read books and articles to do one of two things or both learn something and to be entertained. And when I think about a real murder or a real serial killer, I can't bring myself to find entertainment in that. I think that's too macabre and kind of psychologically weird. And, um, I don't think I'm learning anything from it. It's none of my business. I, I am not. I, and I, and all, the overriding thing is I have sympathy for the family. Yep. If it's an unsolved crime, I understand that there's a need to get the word out. Uh, the person's still on the loose, right? Beware or uh, help this family find closure. I can understand that. Um, but to learn, like, what am I... How am I going to transfer the knowledge that I got from this murder to my daily life? You know, there's so much to do. There's so right. much to read and, and watch and consume. There's a family I can hang out with. Why Why would I sit down and do this? And um, I always felt like I was also turned off by a lot of the sensationalism that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Like, these are real people. I remember I was yelling at the TV once. Like, I said, fuck you, Charlie Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> literally said that I had a coffee in my hand and I just said, this guy was doing a story about, a uh, there was a girl who was murdered and decapitated. They found her body in the desert in the Southwest. He had one of the split screen interviews with the mom and dad of that girl. Mm-hmm. And he asked the stupidest question, but the way he ended it was just the gut punch. It's like, tell us about your, your, the murder of your daughter. How did you feel when, of the murder of, of your little girl. Oh God. These people are, are mourning. They, right. they, they don't even know which end is up right now. I, it, that's the worst, the worst nightmare for a parent. Not just lose a child, but senselessly lose mm-hmm. your child, right? Preventably lose your child. And I didn't even have children. I wasn't even married back then. I think that moment, actually, Charlie Gibson and that question and that moment really made me just look down my nose at, at true crime because I looked at it as... Um, intending to be entertainment, and I always mm-hmm. thought women were somehow weirdly entertained by it. But you're no, saying that's it's, not true. I don't, it's not an entertainment <clears throat> factor. Again, I go back to you know understanding how these victims became victims. You know what caused them to be in this situation. If they're survivors, how did they survive? If they escaped, how did they escape? I also think women were naturally more empathic. So when I watch a documentary or I listen to a podcast, I really do feel a sense of empathy for the victim and, and their family and what they went through and how they have to put the pieces of their lives back together to move on from, you know, a senseless tragedy. Do you hear something? Yes. What is that? <laughs> Weird. Those are my kids. <laughs> I think they're blowing on the didgeridoo. Oh, <laughs> All right, just another day so, at the Think House. Yes, I, I also like true crime documentaries that aren't necessarily about murder. Um, in fact, one of my favorite. I'm sorry, oops, stop sorry. right there. 
I thought true crime, the genre, if I had to define it, I would say uh, stories about murders. Nope. I enjoy a good cult documentary. <laughs> I also, one of my favorite documentaries is called The Crime of the Century, and it's all about Purdue Pharmaceuticals' role in this country's opioid crisis. It is eye-opening, and it's so well done, and it really... It was fascinating and it made me angry because these billionaires are profiting off of the backs of people who are in legitimate pain and they defrauded the FDA. It, it's 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 amazing and, and so frustrating at the same time. OK, so, uh, Liz, um, in your own words, how would you define true crime? I mean, it's any, you know, documentary, book, podcast, whatever that talks about a crime, any crime. It doesn't have to be a grisly murder. Um, it could be, you know, I watched Filthy Rich, the Jeffrey Epstein story, which was also really upsetting. Um, again, the the Purdue Pharmaceutical one was really fascinating. Um, I have one on my list to watch that is all about the, uh, the GameStop or, yeah, GameStop. Um, the whole meme stock craze that, you know, went nuts about a year or two ago. So anything like that, I find fascinating because it's just information I don't know. To me, it's a way to educate myself about something that I'm not familiar with. Interesting. So my assertion that true crime involves a dead body is not true. Not all the time. And I have watched, there's a couple documentaries, true crime documentaries that I watched that still sit with me that I've, I find really disturbing. And if, if I were to recommend them to people, I would say just so you know, like this sat with me for a while and like it really bothered me. And I had to kind of watch some, you know, episodes of Schitt's Creek or Arrested Development afterwards <laughs> to kind of like reset my, yeah. my mind. Cle so, you know, your soul. yeah, yeah. So when you absorb those things, you kind of have to be prepared for it to affect you in a negative way. What was the hardest true crime story to watch or read? So there's two. One is a Netflix documentary called Abducted in Plain Sight. Um, they're actually making a like fiction or not fictionalized, a dramatization of it right now, which I won't watch because I already watched the documentary. But essentially, this young girl, I think she was 12 or 13 at the time, was kidnapped twice by a neighbor. Her parents essentially served her up on a silver platter to this man um, to the point where he had manipulated them so much he had been caught behaving inappropriately with her and he said to the father and the parents were, are, are featured in this documentary. Mm -hmm. He said to the father, well, my doctor said the only way I'm going to get over this addiction is to sleep in your daughter's bed with her. And the father said, what were we going to do? His doctor said so. So we had to let him. No way. Yeah. All right. So that, <laughs> that is where the state needs to get involved. Yeah. And, take the kid away from the parents and now she's an adult she's I think she's older than me but um but yeah it was it was I couldn't I couldn't believe what I was seeing and hearing mm -hmm. that that happened and that's and as a mother that's why it really disturbed me and the other one um it just came out recently the sins of our mother it's about Lori Vallow if anybody knows that story she it's awful it's awful and it was the this particular story documentary there have been several I think about her and her story but she essentially left her family married this cult leader was convinced that her children were evil she 
had her ex-husband murdered. She murdered her children. Like it's just it's awful. And the and the documentary was told from the perspective of her oldest son, who's an adult from like her one of her earlier marriages, mm-hmm. and how this all has affected him. So to hear that and to just see like this what this woman did to her own children again as a mother that really bothered me wow mm-hmm. wow as always per you <laughs> you have uh some notes here do you want yeah I'll, think- I'll just hand it over to you and let you uh go freestyle sure so it's my kids do like to make fun of me about the whole true crime thing because they know that that's usually what I'm watching if I'm sitting on the couch after dinner with my iPad I was gonna ask you do you consume this stuff by yourself I can't yeah, imagine yeah. Dan is not into it at all of course um so so they'll come over and ask me for something and I'll be like I got a cold case to solve, so I'll be with you in like five minutes. <laughs> do, you, do you find yourself scrambling for the clicker or the remote control to to pause it because what's on TV? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. sometimes. Um, and I have to say the downside of my obsession with this has made me a little paranoid in certain situations, like unnecessarily so. Um, so Avery, we were in Uxbridge for a field hockey game a few weeks ago and we're on the way home and she she had to pee. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, well, like try to find somewhere to go. And we happened, we were on the highway. We ha- I happened to see a sign for like a visitor center rest stop. I'm like, okay, cool, we'll pull in here. So we do and we go into this big visitor center and we're the only people in there. And I'm like, this is where we die. Yeah. Yeah. So, you see, you see so, the opening yes. scene of a, yes. a dateline or something. Completely. Mm-hmm. So we go into the restroom and she's in the stall and I'm like, I'm like getting anxious. I'm getting really anxious about like, we get to get out of here. Like this is, if someone comes in, we're super vulnerable, all that. Mm-hmm. She comes out of the stall. I'm like, all right, let's go. She goes, I have to wash my hands. I'm like, no, you don't. Let's go. <laughs> so, it do was, you, yeah. Do you have mace in your purse? I don't. Pepper spray? I don't. I, with, I'm so clumsy, I would end up turning it on myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you should get some. I think every woman should I know. have some. And that's like, that's from a young age. Mm-hmm. Women, girls, whatever, we're taught about safety. Be safe, be safe, be safe. And so I think, part again, going back to why I watch these documentaries, some of it is to figure out how to keep myself safe or what are red flags or what are situations that might look okay but could potentially be dangerous yeah you know yeah um and so i will i will leave our listeners with this if you're ever watching a true crime documentary and the husband is described as a quote loving family man he Mm. definitely butchered his wife (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's always those those interviews those man on the street interviews with uh the neighbors it's like you know he he was just a the btk killer he's like a boy scout leader and a just mm-hmm. a just a good good person. Everyone right. liked good him. Community and, member. God, yeah. I mean, these people are are probably I don't know, but I mean, their psychological profile. They're probably um, they probably have high IQs. I right. Mean, they're, you, they're, you would have to to be able to fool your family, fool your community. Yeah. You know, that's like a sociopath mindset is yep. that they can separate the horrible horrible things that they're doing from having a regular normal life. Yeah, and they are smart enough to to hide it yep. and, and it's premeditated. It's um it's scary. It's scary mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. All right. So what did we learn today? Women love true crime, but it's not for entertainment. Like I assumed and that's why I thought that's one reason why I thought women are crazy. <laughs> I'm coming around on this Liz because we have daughters. Yes. And they are young and impressionable and maybe Maybe they should watch a little true crime when they get older with with their mother, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of healthy paranoia isn't a bad thing yeah, for a young right, woman, right? Right. Don't be so naive, right? Right. You know, 
I mean, you have to have talk to your 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 kids before they go off to college mm-hmm. or whatever they do after they fly, you know, fly off out of the nest um, and they're on their own. Yep. You just want to make them vigilant or aware of their surroundings, of scenarios, the probabilities yeah. of things. Have some street smarts. Yeah, that's a good term for it. Yep. Yep. All right, Scuttlebuds. Uh, thanks for listening to another exciting episode of Small Town Scuttlebutt. We'll see you next week. We here at Small Town Scuttlebutt love that you listen to us every week. If you like what you hear, go support the businesses that help support us, like APC Pest Control, Larkin's Liquors, Mario's Lawn Care, Perez Martial Arts, Royal Pizza, Park Street Books, Smear Campaign, and Mike Page Studios.